Do you like the north of England? Would you like to spend a couple of days doing nothing but playing board games, eating great food, in the presence of fantastic people, some well-known faces from board game media, and potentially Matthew Jude smelling great? Then, come to Aircon between the 13th to 15th of March next year. Tickets and more information are available on their website. That's aircon.co.uk and also in the links in the show notes. And now, on with the show! We'll do a clap so we'll count to three and then clap and then we'll count to three and then we'll okay. clap again so we'll do a one two three then clap so one two three clap one two three clap here we go that should tie everything up lightly and somebody told me tonight you know that you go one two three clap and then clap afterwards you do <laughs> that you, I, I didn't want to like I tried to delay my clap the second time <laughs> Instead of just putting me out, I was like, fuck. Well, I, I, I figure like, if you're on episode 330, you know what you're doing with the claps by now, and it's, it's your problem to come together. It's not, I'm like the rag and bone man. You know, Rob Newman used to talk about the rag and bone man. He got to the point where he was not stopped asking, does anybody have any rag and bone, please, to just go, no, no. So I've got to, <laughs> I've repeated that so many times, I actually believe that I'm no longer clapping mm. after three, I'm clapping after clap. <laughs> Which is always mm. good. Um, mm. You don't even need to say clap. Is the great thing. I actually say it's clap. In, it's as it's well. implied. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to say it out loud. You can. Hello and welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for autumn because it's the seasons. And it's a little bit kind of, you know, getting colder. It's kind of jumpers time. It's kind of getting dark at night. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of looking forward to Christmas because potentially it's only a couple of months, well, three months to go. Um, Joining me today is a gentleman who's decided to set me a challenge. And it's no normal challenge. Now, I'm not usually one that partakes in a ripiga. You know, I'm with the cardboard and the board games. But this person said, I'll tell you what, if you can pronounce our company name, then I will come on your show and I will chat about our Ripiga uh, Kickstarter that's going on at the moment. And I said, you should have a heart, man. And I said, we said, I do have a heart. In fact, our entire game is called Heart, the City Beneath. And I went, okay, well, give me this. So he hands me a piece of paper and I say, well, welcome. Yellow, curling at the edges. <laughs> welcome. I didn't, I've not introduced you yet, Grant. You're jumping into it. I'm sorry, That's sorry. Fine. I'm Step sorry. Back. My apologies. Okay. Go on. So joining me, I've got Grant Howitt. And Grant Howitt is from Rowan, Rook and Deckard. See? Practiced. Professional. Help. There you go. Hello. Am I, am I introduced now? You are. 
Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hello. It's, it's nice to be here. It's 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 decidedly well, average I mean, here. In, in, in my house, like <laughs> where I live. It's not like I'm anywhere different. We're recording this remotely. I know. It's like one of these things. It's like what happens if you said, oh, how are you? Well, I'm quite rubbish because, you know, somebody's n- oh, I'm in God. somebody else's house you, and mate. wearing their shoes. I mean, it's pretty terrible. Piles. I know. It's not good. Mm. How are you? Anyway, you well? Um... Yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. I am. Uh... This is kind of like a movie thing, isn't it? Because <laughs> we were talking about this before. Because we were saying like Go how on. many podcasts you've been doing. You've been like, oh, I've mm. been doing loads of podcasts. It's just been. Uh, oh, I've done so many podcasts. I'm just like podcasted out. I don't even know to where to start my story and stuff. Like wake that. up, wake up in the morning, six a.m. is podcast <laughs> on the way to midnight. <laughs> Surrounded by podcasts. Don't podcast minds with a pickaxe hauling them out. It's terrible. And a nice. My back, my back is sore. I've got a podcast lung. You've been down the down the podcast mind since you were five. Mm. When you used to smoke your mm. podcast pipe, but it was all fine because you had a lovely <laughs> mic to smoke it in, which is always good. Mm-hmm. Um, Heart, the city beneath mm-hmm. Ripigate. We're gonna, we are gonna talk about it, but we're gonna talk about you for a bit because it's always talk- so nice so. to talk about you for a bit. It's currently almost sitting at sixty three thousand pounds on a funding mm. goal of seventeen thousand. So, um, in terms of mood in camp, are you? A happy chipper champer with that type of money that's coming in. <laughs> it's really weird. It's always really strange to do a Kickstarter because there's there's like the funding goal mm-hmm. and there's your own secret personal goals and then there's the other goals that all the other Kickstarters have set. Yes, that like that like Root went live on the same day as us. We've had Root. We've had a new World of Darkness game. Uh, Under Hollow Hills is kickstarting as well. Uh, Slay Industry Second Edition, but basically we picked the wrong week. Um, uh, John Harper just put out his new one tonight, at uh, time of recording. So they are all, a lot of these. A lot of these are raking in cash, hand over fist, and so there's an element of like, but I want that money for me. <laughs> and the other thing is, when you look at a Kickstarter number, like I'm not just going to get to have a big sack, of, a big sack of individual pound notes, no. and get, get to walk around there. That's going on books. That's, that's going to pay. So me and Chris, uh, the, the, to the main, main employees, of the business, the two employees, of the business. Uh, that's our salaries, and the more money we get, the longer we can afford to have our salaries. Uh, but it's that. But I still look at like the, the root Kickstarter, and I'm like, oh, you little bastards, was swanning around with your silver trays <laughs> and your absinthe, smoking opium from a sex worker's navel. <laughs> I just, I don't, I can't actually see that kind of kind of happening. Um, not a, a I, magpie games. <laughs> I think I think you've kind of ex- ex- expanded that further than it actually kind of maybe kind of needs to be because um, you know I've spoken to I've had Patrick later on from Leader Games and he made the root mm-hmm. board game and you know mm. he's he's been fighting this opium addiction for some time so for you to bring it up is probably <laughs> oh, going to trigger so, yeah. him back and he's going to be straight down the street you know speaking to, <laughs> speaking to Squidgy John and saying can you sort us out son and I shall fill you up with root RPG books for the rest of your life but anyway Find, finding the nearest velvet lined cushion throwing himself upon it and wait, waiting until the man from China brings him something <laughs> exactly with his lovely hat um, the little brown opium hat. Hello. Were you when you were growing up? Because let's take mm. this. Let's take this away from this. People go and look at the Kickstarter. It's fantastic. But Grant, as I know, 
is a creationary type person. So when you were mm. growing up, were you always the creationary type person? Were you, you know, was the teacher always... Now, Grant, if you do another one of those silly voices, headmaster's office, or was it something that you kind of grew into as you kind of got older, being kind of creative and kind of using your imagination, making kind of stuff up as you... I was 100% that kid. Yeah. However, also, I was smart and I could talk to adults. Right. So I didn't get in trouble. Uh, I was I was fucking insufferable, I should imagine, <laughs> as a child. Um, I was like, like for a while, I was I was your sort of top of the class yeah. bright lad. And then I realized that having friends was more interesting. And there was a marked drop in my grades the, the, the year I decided to stop trying. Was it? Was it kind of like a popularity type of thing? Did people discover that you were funny and interesting and fantastic, but in order to maintain that funny, interesting and fantastic, mean it means you needed to kind of steer off the kind of the golden path of lovely grades and, you know, attentive yeah. listening and stuff like that? I, I think so as well. I, 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 I think that there's, there's an element of like, I, I wasn't lying about who I was, but there was definitely an, an element of, no, I think I want to have friends now. Mm. I'm going to stop studying quite so hard and I'm, I'm going to try and, I'm going to try and focus more socially, you know, mm -hmm. a bit like, uh, not focusing so hard at work to, to try and up your social life or what have you. Uh, but I was, Oh no, I was, I was, I was, I was very imaginative. Uh, mum and dad read to me a lot from a young age, mm -hmm. which was very good of them. Uh, and I've, uh, I just, I've, I've carried on doing it. I did, I did a degree in creative writing. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, a, a university down at, down at the old UE. I did American literature and creative writing. So it wouldn't let me do creative writing on its own. Yeah. And the great thing about American literature is it is maximum 200 years old. Really? Wow. Yeah, well, because I wasn't really in America I suppose, before yeah, that. exactly. So you yeah. kind of like everything that you knew, you probably knew everything unlike this. If you go back into like English literature, or you're like going, mm. I don't even know what this is. And it's Shakespeare and I hate it kind of mm. thing because they keep... They've got, they've got, they've got weird language. <laughs> and like, like, well, like Chaucer, I, I had to go on that recently, funnily <laughs> enough, for heart. I thought I thought I'll have a bash on Chaucer because I missed it the first time around, and it's all right. But I'm glad I don't have to like do a quiz on it, <laughs> like do an I exam just, or write an essay on it. I can imagine that there's kind of like there's youth detention centres out there, and they're saying, right, <laughs> you're going to go out to your room, or you're going to spend the afternoon reading Chaucer, and you'll just see them dash, <laughs> dash it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Do you want some Byron Keats and Shelley again? Do you? Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Do you want to come back in three months? You'll behave yourself, son. That's what you'll be doing, kind of thing. <laughs> um, the thing about creative people mm -hmm. is that the value of your work, unless you hit the big time, can unfortunately be kind of like diminished. Because I know a lot mm. of people who are very, very creative who are basically, you know, if they actually try to live off the money that they make from their creative stuff, they would mm. really, really find it kind of difficult to do. Were you, did you go straight from the path from your degree? Did you go straight into kind of like a creative writing kind of position or were you kind of? Absolutely not. Yeah. No, I, I went to, so I, I went to uh, UEA. Sorry, there's giant fucking insect in here. I think, <laughs> I think it is the house now. Jesus, fuck my eye, Christ. Where is it? Oh, God, it's hidden. Okay, okay, I think. Okay, it's I can't see it, which is both good and I'm bad. I'm gonna have to ask you to roll for initiative here, I'm afraid, Grant. 
<laughs> no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to make any loud noises that might attract it. Um, this, this, if 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 you hear a noise like <laughs> Daddy Long Legs with a beard, uh, then it's 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 taking over my business now. No, that's fantastic. Uh, no, I uh, so because I went to the uh, University of East Anglia, I like everyone else who lived in Norwich worked for Aviva for a mm. while or Norwich Union as it used to be called. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of a penance that everyone does. And I ended up there for God, two and a half years uh, doing pensions administration uh, with no training, very little training. And I would explain to confuse 65 year olds why, why they didn't, sorry, not why they didn't have any, they didn't have any money in their pensions, yeah. just that they didn't have any money in their pensions. And I didn't understand why. Wow. So it was fun. Um, and I ricocheted around between temp jobs for a while coming out of that. I was a chef for three months and I never shut up about it. And, uh, eventually I, like, what got me into, like, writing full time as a career, I applied for a, for a, for an internship at FHM for, really? for, for Him magazine. Yeah, back in the day. Uh, wow. this is back in 2011, I think I applied. Was that the and, kind and, of the glory days type thing then? Or was that, no, that was that after? Were they still no, kind of trying to no, that, that is that was that was after the glory days. I think the, the glory days were like mid to late nineties, mm-hmm. uh, when they were like vaguely relevant, but they the internet had really ruined FHM's business model because it was it was it was funny articles and pictures of tits, and that's what the internet is. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> pretty so, much. And, but they were just but, like that. Well, they, might as well go home now. <laughs> they hired me to write funny articles about tits. <laughs> I had to write, so I was I, I was on retainer. I was yeah. getting paid, honestly, not enough money to do it. But I had to write four articles a day about something a woman had done. No way. <laughs> and like and like, so he had, had to be an attractive woman, and that had to have had their picture taken. And then I had to come up with two hundred and fifty words minimum about what was happening in the picture for SEO purposes. Yeah, really. Uh, that was it. Yeah, I I got pretty. I had I had zero editorial oversight for a lot of it as well, so I got to write what I wanted. And I, I, I need to I, what I, an I, example. Give me an example of this kind of like you not obviously have to be kind of like you know obviously go down the, the crude and dirty line, but was it just a case of and they're just wearing this and they're just looking like this and they're going to have a fantastic day at the beach kind of thing, or was it just like uh, absolutely <laughs> not? Um, it was uh, my, my favorite one. So it was a so Olivia Olivia Wilde, who's an actress. Um, yes. she, um, she was, I think she was doing, she was doing the Christmas lights somewhere and there was a picture of her holding this big star off, like, off the top of the tree. It'd be about as big as her torso was. Yeah. And the headline was, was Olivia Wilde unearths mysterious obsidian star. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote, I think, I think 400 words about how she'd been on the, she'd been on an expedition. Sorry. It, it, allegedly she'd been on an, on an expedition to the Arctic, uh, and, and, and dug it up from beneath the ice and I had to shoot a couple <laughs> of, uh, of her guides. On the way, <laughs> and no one, no one cares. <laughs> and like I, I said, alleged, I didn't bother using that sort of terminology. Yeah. Like, as like like the, the one time that they stepped in, I um I was I was broadly anti-military in one of my stances. Really? Uh, and they were, yeah, and they were like, actually, Grant, a lot of a lot of squaddies read the read the website. Can we not, please? Uh, but aside from that, yeah, I, I got to basically write what I want. So I did that, and I wrote about video games as well for them because that was what I was really passionate about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was a freelance games journalist for a while. Uh, I used to, I, I did, I got a cover feature, which I was very proud of. Who was and, who did you uh, work for? Was it like your 
um, Edge magazines and places like that? Did you manage to- um, oh, Edge, Edge wouldn't have me. No, really? no, it was, uh, God, no, 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 no. I'm not, I wasn't, I wasn't well established enough for Edge. You've got to, you've got to be a Simon Parkins for that. Oh, yeah. No, I did, um, I did, oh, I did some stuff for The Guardian. Oh, yeah. Um, I did some stuff for, um, uh, PSM3, uh, Games Master. Um, I'd, I managed to write one article for, um, PC Gamer. Which I was so proud of because I used to love reading PC Gamer growing up, and that was really formative for me. Um, I did some work doing that, and then I happened to ricochet around the country, around the around the, around the globe. I lived in Australia and New York for a while, following my uh, my partner's job around. Yeah. So I lost all my contacts and um, unable to be a freelance games journalist anymore. I started writing role playing games because thankfully we were getting enough money coming into the household that I didn't have to work. And in America, it was illegal for me to work. All right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, we, we managed, like, we, 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 we made it work and we got to, I got to do my dream job for a while and it's profitable now, which is nuts. But no, it was definitely not a smooth trajectory. <laughs> I don't know if anybody is. I think people find you manage to get into something that you would like to do and it ends up usually being in a hobby and then you struggle with it to try and kind of make some money from it and then people like yourself manage to make a little bit of money about it but I've never seen somebody going, look, I'm doing board game media and I'm just about to buy mm. a new car off the cash that I've got. There's nobody, <laughs> there's nobody that's doing that. You maybe buy a toy car or you maybe, no, no or you maybe get sent a car, but you've got to review the car and it's a toy car <laughs> and it's part of like pitch car or something. So it's actually just a wooden disc. So it's crap. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. I, I did not get into this job for the money. No. But I mean, the role playing stuff, did it? Did it just come about, or was it something that you were just like, I'm just oh, okay. going to sit here um, with a pad and just start <laughs> writing stuff and see where it goes? So I wrote um, like the first foray into game design um, after uh, some like some some brief fuckabouts I did at, um, at, at secondary school, uh-huh. which I'm glad had been lost to the ages. Uh, me and the chap who was supposed to be in the show tonight, but is too ill, uh, Christopher Taylor. We wrote a we wrote a live role playing game because mm-hmm. he got he got some Nerf guns. And we thought, oh, it'd be fun if we could have a zombie game with these. Mm-hmm. And we decided to go and try LARP to see what that was like. And I think he got through half half a morning boffer LARP. I got through one evening of World of Darkness. Oh, hello, I'm a vampire. Do you want to be friends? Oh, not really. Sort of LARP. And um, we both decided that we could do it better. So we wrote a LARP with no real understanding of the rules of LARP. <laughs> We just sort of went at it. Like we were, we. I've always been a fan of role playing games. They've always really excited me. Uh, and Chris and I worked really well together. And so that was a kind of our first foray. Uh, we ended up writing, honestly, a pretty serviceable system as long as you don't mind character uh, lifespan of about seven minutes. And uh, yeah, that 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 went really well. We um, we ended up running it at uh, an abandoned shopping mall in Reading. Oh right! It was uh, yeah, it was, re- it was really exciting. It was really cool. Um, but we very quickly realised there was no way to make money out of it. Well, I say very quickly. We we realised there was no way to make money out of it. We couldn't have it as a business no. whilst keeping it what it was. Yeah. Uh, like like the the same thing with the with the industry that we're in now. Like there are much more efficient things that we could be doing within the industry to make money. But what this the purpose of this business is so that we can make cool games we like rather than publishing other people's stuff or doing layout or you know, middlemanning, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You you regularly write I mean through pay, for Patreon, you regularly are writing mm-hmm. kinda of little role playing kinda of games. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Isn't that like a huge commitment? I mean, does that not require to you to be just, or are you just one of these folk that's like, no, it's easy? Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, I find um, I just wake up and I've got 15 ideas. You know what I mean? Do you want an idea just now? I, you know, look, you're a duck. You try to get back. You try to fight the bread. The bread monster's coming after you. And you know, if the bread monster gets you, you get a really sore stomach. And that's what you do. You roll 3d10. There you go. Flappability. Yeah, yeah. And that's it. There you Fuck go. It. I mean, that's not too dissimilar from what you're doing process. I I used to have a lot of too many ideas. Yeah, I used to be um, I used to be very mentally unwell and unmedicated, and I used to get crazy amounts of ideas. Oh, so many ideas! I never did anything with because I was too mad. Yeah, um, and now I'm much calmer and have about two ideas a week, <laughs> thanks to thanks to my old friend Venlafaxine, who right. stopped me from going too mad. Um, but it's 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 calmed me down. It's, it's taken all the edges off. But um, no, I think like. <sighs> The reason why I can do it is because I've been doing it for 10 years. Uh, like I'm practiced in it now and I know how to make the pieces go together. Mm-hmm. And if I was, if I was trying to write my first RPG every month, then it would take ages and I would, I would not be sure enough to do it. And it would be this tremendous outpouring of, of effort. But, um, it's, it's something which it's, there's a rhythm to it, which, which I've gotten into now. Uh, and there is, there's a format which I, which I can, which I can flow into. And also I have a button on my computer. When I want to push it. I got $2,000. Uh, and every time I push it, I have to release a role-playing game. Yeah. So that's quite a nice incentive. I suppose. Because that's what Because that's, that's, that's how it works on Patreon, that you're getting paid every time you release Canola Corolla. I, I get paid every time I push the button. Wow. <laughs> Uh, no, it's 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 for every release, uh, and most people say, "Oh, well, I'll I'll pay you once per month for this thing." Uh-huh. But uh, the deal with Patreon, it's not like Kickstarter because the uh, people pay upfront for it yeah. without seeing what it is. Um, and like a lot of people will, uh, like patrons have different models, and like some people will be like, "Oh, uh, I I I want this thing to exist, so I'm going to write this big long book, and you can pay to support me, and you can read the book as I go." But with me, it's much more of a it's a transactional thing. You get one game a month. Thank you very much. I mean, I send physical copies out to some people as well. Is it like a one pager? Is it like a two pager? I mean, are they getting a pamphlet? What is, are they getting, so it's getting like it's, a book. It's, it's one page. It's one page. Wow. The shortest legal length of RPG. And if I send you a physical one, there's a back page on it, which is only ever done in physical. Mm-hmm. So we don't release this online. And one of the things which I really liked about RPGs growing up, um, and this is this is just useless nostalgia, but uh, you know how people are like, oh I, I remember I remember watching 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 films on VHS. You had to hunt out, you had to hunt down all, all, all the things you want. Oh, you appreciated it though. And like I'm sure you did, but it's much better now. Mm-hmm. It's much better than just being able to download what you want. But when I was when I was younger, because uh, I, I grew up, um, I spent my uh, secondary school years in Portugal. Uh, I went to an international school, and why did, there weren't any English bookshops, let alone any English role playing bookshops. And so I I didn't have the opportunity to really get role playing games. Um, and so whenever I found one, it was this sort of this this sacred, exciting item. <laughs> we would pass it around between each other to read. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted to sort of channel some of that into the games. It's like, well, okay, these aren't like the back pages. It's never going to be anything vital to play in the game. It's, I mean, they're B sides, a lot of them, but it's something unique, which, which like a very limited number of people have. And I think there's something kind of exciting about that. Does, do you, do you miss the creativity from? 
being non the non medication side of things, or was it a horrific struggle, or was it a case that you didn't realise at the time until somebody kind of took I, I you aside? I don't think I realised at the time. Um, I miss. <laughs> I can't throw myself into into anything as melodramatically as I used to, yeah. um, and that goes for both high and low emotions. I think that there was a, there is a the the capacity to be obsessed with something yes um has gone but it's i think that like, we have this we have this myth of the tortured artist um and and like, and like oh or this or the, 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 the mentally ill artist and his his, his 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 insanity gave him insight and the thing about pretty much every mentally ill artist who did very well is they were also independently wealthy and you look at, or like they were funded from outside sources, and you look at like the people who were not independently wealthy and were mentally deranged because like because they didn't have the opportunity to just focus on the work. They had to have a job. They had to have kids. They had to pay the rent. Um, being mentally unwell takes so much out of you. It takes so much out of your day. And sure, I mean, I, I used to have more ideas. And I used to like my, my brain used to feel like pop rocks uh, in coke. But also, I'd spend six out of every twelve hours wanting to die. Yeah. So it was like I, I think it's just a more mature way of looking at it as well, and being like, oh, I, I, actually, this is on the on the whole. Sure, I don't get those random flashes of inspiration. Yeah. But I can sit down at my desk at nine a.m. and work through till lunch without going mad because I looked out the window. Yeah. And it's this romantic view, as you say, about them saying, well, you know, these wonderful people that they get stifled their creativity if they kind of get, if they actually go and try and help themselves kind of reach some kind of stability. And I think it's a case of, oh, okay then, but there's, you can get help for yourself and you're automatically, well, ultimately you will probably end up in a much more happier happier place kind of going down the line and it's a yeah I see it all the time for all I've got friends that you know just hate that because they're like going well why why do I have to be like that you know it's like (laughs) why do I have to suffer every every single point in order to kind of release something creative which I just would I was just you know I was just wondering kind of where you where you kind of were were with that kind of thing um I think that I, I think that no um I struggle to think of a of a work of art that exists which is worth um, the madness of the person who made it. I think that's that's why I stand on it. Um, you've got to be pretty, you've got to be pretty up your own ass to think that your own sanity is less important than the brilliance of your work. Mm-hmm. 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 Or or twenty one. Because at that point you're just invisible and you can do absolutely anything at all. Um, <sighs> about five years ago, you took the road to Kickstarter for the first time with Goblin Quest and I remember mm. um, I think I remember Goblin Quest at the time and I mm. think that was only, I think that was because um, I was aware of your existence through I think the video game kind of people because I used to do some video game writing so I was aware okay. of your you know I was aware of the the kind of the journalistic monsters that were going about at the time anyway you know <laughs> you're you know and I mean that in the nicest possible way you know no no we, we were we were on each other's periphery so yeah definitely I think that was the case I think that was the kind of the case at the time so I definitely it was because Goblin Quest came out and 
what was the what was your reason because Kickstarter at that time five years ago was a completely different beast from what it was now it was all yeah. ideas you could go up you could rock up with a piece of A4 and 15 crayons <laughs> and go look I'm calling it Gloomhaven I've not got any art there's no counters <laughs> um, you know uh, that's a bit of snot I'm fresh, it's gonna that's use a bit a lot of cards yeah, there's a bit of snot in it where I wipe my nose don't worry about that but it looks good eh? do you want to give me 50 <laughs> scrolling dollars and what would happen is people would go look at that idea that's an amazing idea mm. I know he needs the art I know he needs a counter he looks like he needs potentially a fresh pair of trousers but let's give him mm. his money and that would, would happen with mm. Goblin Quest, was that what you decided? <laughs> Obviously, you'd have had clean trousers at wow. the time. Wow. But okay. I'm not okay. going there, but what I'm saying uh, is... It was, a, it was a very professional... At that point... Don't lie. At that point in the time, did you were like saying, well, let's try this out and see how it goes? Was that kind of like you yeah. sticking your toes in the water to see, well, yeah. Kickstarter's there. Yeah. Is it likely to support something like what I'm doing kind of thing? Very much so. Um, so I, sh- I should I should mention. Um, so I mentioned Chris as one part of our business, but the other third of our business is Mary, uh, Mary Hamilton, who is my spouse and also our business manager. Yes, uh, they've got a brain the size of a planet, and they're not afraid to use it. And Mary has always been really supportive of my work as my partner. And and like it was Mary who said, "Oh, why don't you try putting out one page role playing games." Because that way you can, you know, that way you don't get caught up in like a thirty-five page book that you have to send out. It's just one page, and you can do one a month. Um, and it was Mary who said, well, "You've written Goblin Quest. There's enough here to publish it." And they costed it out, and it was two grand. And that is that's like nothing, you know, in yeah. in yeah. real terms to try and make yeah. a book come out. And I, I think like I. My payment for the first Goblin Quest was, I think, £200, um, which was not a lot for writing a book, got to be honest with you. But it was, it was, it's Mary's idea. Um, and they helped me set it up. They, they, they helped me sort it out. And, um, from that first, like, because we set our funding goal so low and it was like, right, we, we just need to get some art, some art done. And we need, we, we've got costs for a, for a per unit printer for, yeah. for, for a um, print on demand thing. Yeah. It was all, it was, it was all very cheap and cheerful, but it was like, well, what if we want to self publish a book? How much do we need? We cost it out and did it. And it, it went, it went really well considering it was our first thing. And I, I, I was an unknown at that point and I had, um, like we didn't have an IP, we didn't have any of the normal things you need to make to make a Kickstarter succeed. I did put Cthulhu in it because you have to. Because <laughs> it's the law. It's the law. Otherwise, you won't make any money on Kickstarter. Yeah. Otherwise, Cthulhu but- comes and gets you, taps you the shoulder. Yeah. It goes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Elder God here. Uh, you know, <clears throat> you're doing an <throat> RPG. Uh, what's going on? Why am I not in your game? Come on. Just a tentacle. Uh, That's all I'm asking. Can we just have some rules for someone running me over with a boat, please? (laughs) (laughs) But you went on to do like 20 grand on the kind of campaign. So was that a kind of a confidence boost to the town to say, actually, people are wanting this? hell yeah. You know. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And like... By that point, I'd written enough games with that, so I built some steam through a Patreon. I'd done um, one last job, which is still kind of popular. It's in German. There's the only physical edition of one last job is in German, uh-huh. which is nuts. Um, I did Warrior Poet, which I believe some people are playing. Oh no, it's half past eleven. So people were playing it earlier tonight online. Um, I was streaming it, and um, 
Havoc Brigade, which is a very silly orc uh, invasion game. Yeah, which would be yeah, fun. yeah. And so I'd done those, and they'd got me a bit of traction in that I could say, "Hey, I wrote these games." And so people could look at something I'd written and then say, oh, okay, I quite like that. I was giving them away for free at the time. And it was, oh, okay, I quite like that. Yeah, I'll give them some money for this. And I think we were charging we were charging £12 a book, which is nothing. Yeah. Um, and, like, like it's like, it, when that's the, it was a softback um, A5 book, but, like, that, just by the level of work put into it, I shouldn't have charged 12 quid for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was a, look, I'd... In retrospect, I'm saying it's a bad idea. I don't think it was. I think that it was a very low price thing, which got a lot of people in there. Yeah. And then and then and then they have this thing from me in their homes. And then when my next Kickstarter comes out, then they can be oh, 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 when my Patreon goes up, or you know what have you, or what, what when I just release a game. Uh, so that was that was a huge confidence boost. And it was the it was, that was at the same time I was rewriting uh, Paranoia. So I did uh, Paranoia with James Wallace and Paul Dean. Yes, I uh, did the did the new. Uh, we did not change the name. It's just called Paranoia. I think it needs an addition name um, because it's not new anymore. It came out about five years ago. Wow! But four years? I don't know. Uh, but we were working on that at the time, and that was that was interesting because I'd never worked with a publisher before. I'd never really worked as part of a team before, aside from with Chris. And so it was very difficult to sort of get my my normal. I don't like the word auteur, but I fucking am one. And my normal sort of, oh, I, I think I shall tweak this precise rule, yeah. and then take some tea in the garden, and take that, <laughs> and and have and have two other people who had different philosophies trying to jam this together, and then getting that through the publishers, and then getting that through the tone czar, and then getting that through the uh, the original owners of the IP, and just like not not really caring. By the end of it. <laughs> um, I, I I I submitted my work to the paranoia. Um, I submitted my, submitted my work to Mongoose, uh, everything I was signed up for. Yeah. And a year later, they received the rest of the book. Wow. Uh, which is why it was late. Wow. But uh, that was so that was and that was that was kind of that was kind of a downer for me because the pro- the project was mismanaged in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think that like we didn't have well, we didn't have a project manager on it. But um, like I'm really proud of what we made. I think I think the paranoia game is great. I'm really I th- I, th- I think it's fun and I think it does things. It takes the se- the sensation of playing paranoia, but doesn't but takes out the whole bit where you have to be an asshole. Yeah, and that was the bit I never liked about paranoia. But because because it was mismanaged, because like there was a lot of bad blood about it coming out a year and a half later, what have you, I didn't feel confident saying, oh, and I wrote the latest edition of paranoia. And I think there was there was an understanding at that point. I'm like, well, I'm gonna have to actually make my own hustle on this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to be recognised for my own merits because I can't rely on people. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I can't rely on publishers in that way. Yeah, because it was more a case of as this kind of thing. You, you would have been if everything had gone well. You would have been, yep, paranoia. That's me. And then mm-hmm. you would have went. Mm, I'm the paranoia I'm guy. A bit, yeah, but paranoid about people mentioning paranoia because I know that. I know I did my bit well, but there was other factors that came in that makes me guilty by association. So in other words, I need to go and kind of go and do something else. Mm. You went on and you did Spire and you mm-hmm. did Strata as well. And you're yeah. starting to get into the kind of the 50,000s and the 60,000s and the 70,000s and things like that. Mm. Um, and now, obviously, you're going into Heart. Mm. Um, how long has that been in the making I mean has that been something I mean 
are you the type of person that has, because of what you do in terms of Patreon and producing stuff, are you the type of boy that has a a type of boy? Look, my word. Type of boy. Are you the type oh, of? Oh, hello, it's me. <laughs> are you the type of boy that likes to run around the tr- playground with your top button on your jacket up at the top, <laughs> screaming that you're Batman and looking to fight the bad guys? Or no, are, you are you a, the type of person that you know, has a rim binder? Been in the cockpit of a plane before, Jimmy. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I, <laughs> you ever been in a Turkish prison? Um, you ever seen a grown man naked? I um, let's not do that. I, I I I would. You know what? I would love to say that I am I am that sort of boy. Um, yeah, just because I, I love the idea of running around with with my with my tie slightly undone yeah. and there's still there's still bun grease on my lips. But uh, no, um, I generally I generally have about one or two ideas yeah. burbling away for, for like for one page games, and it's often like I'll sit down with my mates and we'll start chatting, and they'll be like, um, "Oh, this would be a fun idea for a game," and it's this kind of like they're daring me to do it at this point. So like, um, what, what, what was the, what was the one? The one that I, I got, I got basically feature complete, and then we we released something else this month. Yeah, but it's called it was called the Right to Bear Arms, um, wow. and you have your arms replaced with bears. That or or swans, or you are a giraffe centaur, which is you just place the head of a you replace the head of a giraffe with the full torso and arms <laughs> of a human, so they're sort of flopping <laughs> around at that. And the gag is you have to you, you you have to one fight crime and two do the administration processes around your crime fighting business. So you have to like use your swans to do photocopies. Um, and that that came out of that came out of my mates like we were settling down to play the heart play test and they and like they started joking about about doing like bear arms and swan arms and I'm like oh, should we should we do this should we just write it now and we spent like three hours coming up with animal jokes and it was lovely. Do you um, uh, do you design on a particular system then? I mean, do you have like a a D twelve D twenty type system type thing, or are you just kind of creating the system at the same time? It depends. Um, there's one, so there's one I wrote for The Witch is Dead, uh, which is the first game I put out, and I've gone back to that for uh, two other pieces of my work with with various tweaks. Uh, two, so the games are The Streets of Carazon and Beautiful Space Pirates, and they they're, they're, and also uh, the Skyfarer RPG, which I wrote for uh, for Sunless Skies. Um, which which me which me and Chris wrote. Uh, we had this diceless system in place, and they were like, oh, "We don't really want diceless," so we just sort of like crowbarred out a system from one of our old things and smushed it in, and it works really well. Mm-hmm. Like, it's um, it's 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 a dramatic system, and it's it's about action and risk and fun, and uh, I'm not I'm not ashamed of doing it. Um, so I've got that, and that's kind of something I play with. But generally, I'll, I'll I like I like a d6 pool. I like rolling more than one dice. I don't like adding numbers together. That yeah. bores me. But I'll, I, yeah, it's like because it because it's one page. You've only got so much room to to actually. To, you've only got so many moving parts, and people aren't going to play them for years at a time. You're going to play it once, have a great time, and then probably not play it again, or play it with a different group, or what have you. And so I can afford to to be very basic and simple yeah. with the dice mechanics, and let the GM fill in the rest. But yeah, there's no there's no default system. And are you aiming for like a time and how quickly somebody can get a game done? Or is that particularly like, well, here's the rules. You do with, with what you want. If you decide that the giraffes going to be going out and they're going to be 
you know, going to a movie theater and there's a scene where the swan tries to, the guy tries to eat popcorn with his swan arms and it just goes everywhere against a big girly bad guy who's got like a rhino horn for a nose type of thing and it all goes everywhere and that's going to take eight hours to do and you've got to decide actually what film you're watching as well at the same time. And the music that's playing in the background is obviously when doves cry by Prince because that's just how these things have to be. But, yeah. I mean, is it a case that somebody that's picking up a Grant Howitt. Howitzer, please. Howitzer, sorry. sorry. <laughs> if someone is picking up a Howitzer, are they expecting? Are they expecting to get? This is just going all types of wrong. Are they going to get like a two? Is it going to be? Is it going to be a two-hour fun time? Or are they looking like a, an eight? An eight I want hour, some fun time. An eight-hour long session. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to get the full service. I um I think that my games have have developed a reputation for being about two hours long, mm-hmm. um and I think that the reason I write them that long is that that's, I'm I'm 32 now and that's about how long I want to do anything for. I'm not I'm not hugely excited to do anything for more than two hours, and expect and like and and also like I've been I've been working all day and all my friends have been working all day and even though my job is writing books about elves, it can be quite mentally t- uh, like tiring. Yeah. And so, so like we just want to sit down and do something silly and off the wall and unrestrained and, and improv led with yeah. very little prep or no prep, like prep which is rolled at the table where people make characters. I think that's one of my trademarks. One of my um, what's the word signatures is that is that I I really rail against the idea that the GM should have to do more work than the players. I think that we're all turning up to do something exciting together and mm-hmm. the idea of the players arriving to be entertained puts you in this really weird position. There's really sort of uh this sort of un- un- an unpleasant power dynamic in that they are your master but also your entertainer. And I and like like just just looking at the the games which Chris and I have written together and the one pages too, so many of them are okay, sit down while the player's making the characters. You're going to do this bit here. Also, the characters, the the players are going to tell you the plot, but they don't know they're going to tell you the plot. Yeah, that's then you're you're going to piece it together, and like that's how me and Chris GM, and that's what I think. That's what I think good GMing is. I think that um, you can do all the prep in the world, but you can't. At that point, you should write a book or something along those lines, or write adventures or what have you. But yeah. having to do like trying to all of my improv training tells me not to prepare. And the more you prepare, the more you have to forget and give up. And that's the more you're carrying with you into that scene. And you're not thinking about reacting. You're not trying to be genuine. You're not, you're not trying to be entertaining or exciting. You're trying to remember the thing you wrote three hours ago because you reckon it's better than what this other person's saying. It, just doesn't, it doesn't create very good energy. Yeah, yeah. Would you prefer to do something that's kind of like, are you always going for like a comedy, like hearted value? I mean, when you're writing the serious stuff, or does it depend on kind of the mood that you're in at the time? Um, I try and alternate. Yeah. So I try and do one serious, one one comedy, um, because comedy ones, uh, they 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 do well. People like being able to say, "Oh, this is funny. I like to play this." And honestly, I prefer playing them myself because it's rare I sit down and I want to get really disturbed. Uh, I fancy a good harrowing, please. <laughs> exactly. I want to sit down and have. I, I, I want to sit down and have a nice time with my friends. The reason I watch comedy, the reason I play, um, like lighthearted computer games. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't play. I don't play computer games competitively. I don't like. Um, you know, I, I don't go on and do and do versus stuff online. I want to have a, a quite a soft experience. I think. Yeah. Um, but that said, I do. I, do, I love horror. I love um, creepy role playing games. I love sort of. I, I love the like get like the violence and excitement of fights. And so, I mean, the last game that we should put out was um, uh, it's called The Witch House, and you have to play. You play. Um, 
so uh, witches familiars which are people who've been magicked into animal shapes and it's kind of the last day you have of your human the last vestiges of your human soul within you and you have to try and kill the witch to uh, to get out uh with your with your soul intact and that's not nice at all and it's, it's actually written to make it very hard to do and you'll probably you'll probably just defect to the witch but do you do you push yourself then to to write stuff that you prefer not to be writing. I don't just mean by making you feel no, uncomfortable, no, but you. like in terms of like challenging yourself, do you sit mm. down and say, "Well, I know how to write comedy." Do you know what I mean? Let's write about mm. you know jellies fighting for kind of domination in the fridge while they're setting, kind of thing, and throwing <laughs> stuff into each other's jelly to kind of make sure it doesn't set as well, kind of thing. Roll three sixes <laughs> and let's see how it goes. Or would you prefer, <laughs> or? <laughs> You know, or would you prefer to kind of like go? Well, the fridge, the fridge is about to get opened, but uh, a little finger's just dropped out in the floor when you've opened the fridge, kind of thing. And you're saying, oh, "Well, I'm not sure about oh, writing that oh, kind of no, thing." My, f- my fingers, my packet of fingers has come open. Exactly. They've spilled everywhere. Chocolate fingers. They're kind of covered in Mom. chocolate, but it looks like chocolate. Could be something else. It's marmite. It could be. It's gravy. Yeah, I, I put marmite on it so my mum doesn't <laughs> eat my fingers. <laughs> she doesn't like marmite. <laughs> Cheeky cow, she's always eating my fingers. Exactly. <laughs> Crunching away in the corner. Can hear you, Mum. Watch it, Mum. That one's got a ring in it. I was keeping it. <laughs> sitting, sitting there watching Cory chewing away on an index finger that I stole off a man. <laughs> uh, um, no. Okay, so I really like I really like as, as I said as I said a couple of minutes ago, I really like horror and like my games that I run tend toward either comedy or horror I think that comedy is the natural state of role playing games because no matter how serious a game you're in there's always been a bit where, where, where we've had a laugh there's always been a bit where even even if it's not in character or what have you or if it's like a little joke someone makes that sort of weird semi in and out of character state that you get into sometimes mm-hmm. I think everyone's going to make jokes because we're all hanging out and generally we're all friends and if we're not friends we're, we're, we're trying to impress each other so we'll, you know, we'll tell jokes and we'll try and have comic timing and things and I think that doing a game which, so like not writing a comedy game per se, but writing a game which lets people be funny and writing a game which sets up these, like which plug, which which you plug the players into and then funny things happen rather than, oh, here's a funny table to roll on. Because you can only look at a funny table once before it stops being funny. But if you use these machines, then people can make their own gags and they feel very clever. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's really wonderful to see. I, lo- I love doing it. Um, but I love, I love squicking players out. I love getting really visceral with descriptions of horror. I love the, um, there's a really fun, uh, power dynamic to play with there as well. Um, and I think that there's, yeah, I, I mean, the Spire is a horror game in a lot of ways. Um, it's about the, about the, like the, the injustices and about the fact that it's about social inequalities, about this massive inequality and these sort of alien creatures who are in charge of the place who don't really understand you, but still yeah. hate you. Uh, and so there's some horror there. Uh, and Heart is expressly horrific. You know, it's the, it's, it's, it's in the next, I think it's in the subtitle of the Kickstarter. And. Yeah. That that um, that lets me play with the weird and the grotesque and the and like and like being able to, to talk about oh we've had this idea and like what if magic was gross and then playing with it in that way and and, and being it's like and Chris and I will bounce off each other and come up with these really sick ideas and then sort of file those down a bit because we don't want to come across as edgy uh-huh. and uh-huh. and you have to sort of in fact we, we there's, there's a discussion going on on the Discord today. Um, so we have a class in heart called the Deep Apiarist, and the Deep Apiarist, uh, they are they're wizards, 
yes. who accept this accept this thing called the hive. Oh yes, I got it. Yeah, uh, they um, accept this thing called the hive, which is an extra dimensional shit ton of bees into their body, and it replaces their organs with wax copies, and they can cast weird magic because of it. Yeah. Um. And and we we we, we, we sketched out the class, and I was like, I had this idea that you make honey like in your chest cavity, yeah. and then feed it to, and you can give it to the other players. It's like a healing potion. Uh, I wrote that down, and immediately I was like, no, no, that's disgusting. And it's not <laughs> the fact that you have honey in you; it's the fact that you're feeding it to another player for a game benefit. And like, it would be perfectly fine in the novel. It's perfectly fine if an NPC does that. But yeah. if you got your players together and you got one guy being like, oh, "Come over and lap the honey out of my chest, <laughs> so you don't die," and it's just it's just giving you too many opportunities to be really disgusting. Uh, and just like, imagine them kicking it away and going. So what's for dinner then, Martin? It's um, <laughs> it's honey chili chicken again. <laughs> I checked the cupboard and we're out of honey. I've got it covered, mate. Got it covered. You just go sit down, and watch Corey. Right, yeah. I've got loads. I need you to not look at me for a while. <laughs> Is it kind of? Oh, that's just an honor. That's just that's just. Anyway, let's you know it's um yeah. Well, um, I guess the the thing the, 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 the thing which which I was getting to about, about the discussion on the on the deep Apris stuff mm. we cut we so so I, I wrote in the in the in the preview for the class we were going to put this in thought it was gross yeah. instead you get cool hypodermic bees which 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 sting you with opium basically oh okay well that's um, fair and yeah because it's, it's it's much it's much less squicky somehow you know it's medical and a load of people were like no. Like honey out of someone's chest, and like, I'm, I'm kind of glad you do, and I'm definitely putting it in my games, but I don't want, I don't want that to be a default thing for the for the player. And I think there's like one of the things we try and do is, is like with a horror game to strike a balance between that edginess, between that deliberately trying to be oh the grossest, sickest, bleh, and you can always see it a mile off, and it doesn't work, and sort of like trying to sit in that comfortable level of human scale of horror. Yeah, I think once you get into the kind of the body horror stuff, there's some people that are automatically mm. going to go listen. I I can't. I got to tap out on this. I got to kind of mm. tap out on this thing. Have you um, <clears throat> have you got to be more aware of kind of topics and things like that that people are talking about in relation to equality and sexism, misogyny, and stuff like that? Do you think about that at all? Are you just like, look, I've I've got the rule set here. Ultimately, I can never ever control what somebody is going to be doing. You know, for instance, if somebody decided that that the the honey making thing had to be a woman, you know, kind of thing, mm. then there's nothing I can do about that. That's just a kind of like a character trait, or is it something you you have to be kind of careful of or conscious of oh, when you're putting together def- characters and stuff? Like that? Definitely conscious um, is something which. Which we which which we think about is something which like uh, like having Chris and I write everything. This this is kind of like having a hind brain for each other. So we'll write something. And go, oh, hang on a sec, mm-hmm. that's implying some weird things. No. And like we were trying, well, like we were trying to write uh, trying to write up. Uh, so one of my classes is the witch, and the witch is. Um, uh, the gag is that it's, it's the monstrous feminine because um, when when a witch takes uh, takes basically a major fallout, the, when a witch has a big problem happen, they mutate into a big horrible monster and stomp her out and kill things. Um, 
and this and this like oh okay so that's that's that that's what you think of women grunt and so the, and like and like we were we were writing that down and we were like okay so what if they had like a cool lair okay so there's like there's like so, so they summon uh like 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 a like a hole in the wall and they can go into this they can go through this sort of meaty slit in the wall um <laughs> oh, maybe maybe monsters come out of it and then we just sort of like we were both sort of pulling each other back from the precipice <laughs> it's like no actually that's really weird that's says some really weird things and so and so like i'm, I'm not going to pretend that, that that we get it right first time or even no. the last time we do it but i think like uh, I, i've been conditioned in a certain way and um part of being a game designer of of any sort of merit is realizing that your work um is political that any any art is political any act is political being apolitical is political, yeah. And so um, we have a responsibility to, to 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 write the sort of things we want to see, to not punch down, to mm-hmm. uh, to include, to to make as inclusive a game as possible. Um, and quite aside from the fact that I want that in the world, it's it's sound business sense. Um, I, I, I want to write games where as many or as many people as possible can pick it up and say, "Oh, I can see myself in this book. I don't feel excluded from this narrative." Yeah, um, because yeah. Then, they can, then, then then they can give me money, but also, but like, I mean, that's 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 semi lighthearted, you know. I mean, the I don't I cringe now when I when I when I, when I look back at books that I was reading when I was a kid and I'm like, oh god, that's rubbish. Oh, the treatment of women in here is shit. I was watching I was watching fucking Blade Runner twenty forty nine last night. Oh just, my like, word, yes. It's just it's just horse 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 all day long. I just I just couldn't. It's, I just, it just got to me, and I think that like, there's like, there's an element of sort of growing up and saying, oh, actually, this is really skeezy and not cool, and being able to, you know, look at the like, look at the world through someone else's eyes for a, for a snap second, which is something that role playing games let us do, and I think that as long as you can skirt around the uh, the poverty tourism. Yeah, you can you, you can probably be quite cathartic about you know, there's, there's something quite cathartic about holding a revolution or or like or, or, or getting to I mean heart is about getting to die on your own terms rather than someone else's terms. So I mean coming in obviously bringing the reason that you were going to be coming on the show in the first place yeah, at yeah. the very very last yeah, kind of like four or five minutes of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit about the you know tell us a little bit about heart. The city beneath. Yeah, I mean, for sure. You know what? What are they um, expecting? What What should they look for? What are you, What are you going to deliver on the table? What kind of experience? Oh yeah, what sort of thing am I bringing to the plate? Uh, so it is a it's a story game. I'm not a huge fan of the distinction, but I think that we need to like get ahead of it because it's also a dungeon crawler and it's a body horror game and it's a game about obsession. The uh, the overall the overall pitch for it is that uh, so Spire was previous game. This is a big tall city, and it's so tall that reality has gone off underneath because it shouldn't be standing. Mm-hmm. And that place where reality has gone off is called the Heart. And initially, it was it was a way for us to get or any kind of weirdness we wanted into our game of Spire because it could come out of the heart, and we can have whatever. It, it, it's fine. It's just a big hole that the horrible things come out of, um, and. We were then like we were looking how how we could explore more in the world of Spire and and, and you know more more around the mm-hmm. the uh, the universe and we we were like well what if what if we just did people exploring uh, exploring the heart so it is it's our our examination of dungeon crawls we we really like the idea of dungeon crawls and I think everyone pretty much does but in practice they tend to be there's quite a lot of admin there's quite a lot of math making there's math yeah there's in a lot there of maths. Well. yeah. 
And it's and it's not hugely fun that bit. And so what we wanted to do was take like the fun bit of dungeon crawls is when like oh we've only got enough food for one day and it's three days travel back. How are we gonna make this work? We have to eat someone. Are we gonna have to go hunting? Are mm. we gonna be like absolutely <laughs> knackered for this fight? And so you have like what, what we've what the system with the resistance system is primarily built around all the things that could go wrong. And we have a big we have a big bespoke list of things that can go wrong. <clears throat> and um, it's that we skip to the end so there's all these horrible things that can go wrong in the heart and they can all happen to your character and we've tried to make uh, misfortune and injury and madness and uh, debt uh, and all, all these things as interesting as leveling up so like there's there's this desire to see your character thrown into adversity because it's exciting and we've built a system which rewards that play um, the other thing, the other, the other big thing I'd like to mention uh, in this, the last three three minutes of the podcast, for, which we've reserved for promotion, is we have something called callings. <laughs> we have callings, and so um, one of the things which kind of bothered me about pretty much every other role playing, pretty much, pretty much every other dungeon crawling game, aside from like your torchbearers, yeah, and um, is that it doesn't make any sense to go into go into a dungeon. Don't go in there. Like you are not like dungeon crawlers, adventurers are not sane and sensible people. They're not role models, um, and they seem to be fairly well adjusted. A lot of them, aside from maybe being criminally short sighted uh, in terms of their uh, in terms of their outlook. Oh fuck me, that insect's back. No, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. I think it's bored of me. Um, <laughs> so we we want so we want to have. Um, we want to try and come up with with ways of having ways of having obsessions power people through the story. Yeah, and so and so we have these callings and the things like oh I I have to I have to go uh, I have to I have to find the secret of bringing the dead back to life so I so I can rescue my brother from hell or I need to get closer to the heart because it's sung to me in my dreams or I need to get penitence. Uh, for for the crimes I've committed, and these are like you, you get this big you get this big list of scenes where these things we call beats, which you pick out at the start of every session, and they you you tell the GM what they are. The GM builds the session um, with you live at the start of the game, and then you play through. And then when you hit these things, you level up. And we like we wanted that obsession, that um, very personal goal, and that arc to be the driving force behind the game. Because you have to be really weird to go into a dungeon, especially one like the heart. Yeah, and and that's and that's what we got. We've got a bunch of cool classes and cool weirds. Like we we want to make it weird, and I think like as as you've heard me talk through the podcast, if you're still listening, you'll get an, an appreciation of like the how we want to take something and then extrapolate a little bit more and think. Well, what if we think about this for like seven seconds rather than three seconds? How can we twist and reimagine things? Um, and like. Spire got a lot of acclaim for the world which we built, and we're doing it again with Heart. So if you like worlds, you'll love Heart. Are you um, are you tempted to? Um, and one of the things I see role playing systems go down now is producing kind of like the characters, producing kind of like figures and scenes and kind of supplemental things, almost mm. like accessories that people can buy to use in their role playing sessions. Is that something I, you would ever consider going down, or is it a case of look, do what you want, but I'm just <laughs> writing here, kind of thing? I I really dislike the sort of um, role playing dandruff that has accumulated around our hobby, uh, and you'll see. I'm going to say like I'm going to say forty percent of the um, of the things that are for sale at any convention are this sort of dandruff. So like you know dice sheaths. 
and roll up map tubes and a t-shirt which has a d20 on and it says like oh roll for initiative or something along those lines um these indicators of of clan without actually being tools for playing the game mm. i don't like them like i don't i try i i, I resent the fact i have to own dice honestly mm-hmm. I, I get I, I get very bored by them they're just tools um and it's not, it's not like an elitist thing. It's not like, oh, I'm playing the game on a higher level than you. I'm just not a fan of it. Um, and I think that a lot of role-playing accessories do slot into that. They do have this sort of, well, you don't need this to play and it isn't really adding anything to like, dice towers. Like, it's not hard to just drop dice out your hand. I do not understand what <laughs> dice towers are for. There's an entire- They're not even portable. Grant, there's an entire industry based around dice towers. There's a network that's called the Dice Tower Network. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you're effectively you, calling you Tom Vassal. You drop them. But I, it's not the point. <laughs> People just... like to top cop, drop them in certain... T- t- are you, I mean, you cannot... I mean, watch it, what you're saying about Tom Vassal there. I mean... Is, is that the same guy with Airfume Addiction? I've forgotten the name of the first one. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know. Why are you taking this there? You don't want to do this. Anakin, you're taking me somewhere I can't follow. But, you know, the accessories thing seems to become a part of everything. I know that there's people that do collect, you know, they love their dice towers and they make them out of Lego yeah. and salmon and other various kind of different things. <laughs> the thing with a salmon dice tower is the dice go yeah. up the way instead of down the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's useless. It sprays them out across a dam. Exactly. And then people have to catch them at the top and then you're yeah. only allowed to use them yeah. once a year though. Uh, so to, but, yeah. I mean... What about no, other look, things? I mean, have you thought about um, have you thought about kind of like getting into like the board game type of yeah. stuff? Yeah, I have. I wrote I wrote a full set of rules for a spy war game hmm. uh, this time. This time last, no, it was it was two years ago. I sat down and wrote some. I spent like I I, I was like, no, I want to get this done. I, I want to see how it could work, and so I, I put aside like two weeks <laughs> just to sit down and focus on it and get the things hashed out. And like I've played a lot of, well, I've read a lot of Warhammer and that sort of stuff, so I was obviously going to be informed from that. I tried to brush up on other systems. I got like I got a functional, if not great, system out of it. Mm. Uh, and then I went to UK Games Expo. Uh, and I saw every other role playing, every other bo- um, war game that was there, and how they were significantly more advanced and had like plastic models rather mm. than my plan, which was just cardboard cutouts. And it's like I don't, I don't have the skills to do that. I don't have the skills to write board games. I, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure I could turn something out, you know, or like as, as part of a team. I'm sure I could bring some strength to it, but it's not worth me or our business effectively pivoting to write board games or card games or war games uh, the same way that I'm not like a, a horse veterinar- veterinarian, you know? Um, it's just, it's a different skill set and a different production line which isn't hugely worth getting into. I think if we had a really big market who were hungry for merch, yeah, um, then maybe. I think, I mean, what does interest me is writing, writing in character stuff. So having like uh, one of the things we're working on is a uh, an in character guidebook. So it's called, we've got a train network in the setting called the Vermissian, and it's just it's haunted as fuck. It's ter- it's terrifying. No one goes in there. It's all non Euclidean and terrible. Uh, and uh, something which we've been working on is the is the pocket guide to the Vermissian, which is written by the by the engineers before the opening as a sort of come and while away in an hour on the pulse line, <laughs> and that and that and like and have that all annotated and dressed up. So it's this it's this fully in character document. But it's 
supporting a thing we're doing. That's something I'm interested in because that's world building and that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd love to have models of the stuff I, I write. You know, I'd love to have a little diorama. Um, I'd love to have a fully posable um, spire. <laughs> I thought you were going to say thumbs. I thought you were going to say thumbs for a sec. I'd like oh, to. Oh, be, I'd, like- oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. I've just been. I've, I've been. I've been using. It's been mashing my paws against the keyboard and relying on spell check. I just want to be able to hold a cup. <laughs> I want to be able to hold a cup with one hand rather than having to hold it to two hands on the bottom, yeah, to my face it- like a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> or a cat in some kind of cartoon like a, with a cat saying, like a goddamn child. <laughs> I'm a man. A man without thumbs. Um. So, um, is that us then? <laughs> not really. No, there's you know there's always tons we could talk about. Um, how long? I mean, for people, the price of entry, I guess, is right. the important thing. How much do people have to put? on to your fantastic Kickstarter in order to be able to back your fantastic Kickstarter? Uh, so we have, so, so the, the lowest tier is £10. And £10 is the is the hardship tier. Um, you It's up to you whether you qualify qualify for it or not, and you get the PDF and all the stretch goals. Okay. Um, and that is, that's 10 of your English pounds. Um, then it goes all the way up to, I think the, the, the Heart's Blood edition is 250 quid. Which is hand bound in leather by Wiven Bookshop. So the Wiven bookbinders who make the books for Harry Potter, apparently, which is very exciting. Um, but if, if, uh, if you want something in between those, the standard book's 35 quid, which I think is about fair for a core system. Um, you'd, you'd easily spend that on half a round of drinks in London and you'll have much more fun spending it on this. <laughs> There's a there's a sales pitch. Don't get don't get drunk. Get dark beneath yeah. the city. Yeah, get lost. Rip a big rip again. Um, <laughs> why, why, why not? Why not roll a dice down downstairs in a big spooky house where the dungeon live? Exactly. Um, if people have listened along tonight, and if you've got to the end. You, you've unlocked an achievement. There's going to be a little thing mm. that's going to flash up on your phone. Um, there you go. Um, I don't know what it says. I've not invented it yet. But if, you, <laughs> if people, if, I haven't invented the technology yet, but I presume it'll be live. It'll be alive by the time people listen to this. Um, mm-hmm. If people want to find, if they've listened along tonight and they want to follow you, obviously not down the street, but on the internet webs. <laughs> Where can they find you on the internet webs, Grant? Uh, they can go to um, Twitter. Uh, it's the best place to go. My handle is GSHowitt, G-S-H-O-W-I-T-T. And I post about all the games I play on there. Um, I've also got a podcast. So if you like listening to me talk and you're like, I wonder what it's like without that other guy, then you can go to uh, you can go to, uh, the, uh, Twitter. No, no, just search Hearty Dice Friends, which is my own stupid podcast I do with my best friend, Chris. And we talk, we, we, we make up role playing games and give role playing advice. And we're very, we take a uh, sideways glance at the, uh, at the industry, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. I shall, <laughs> I shall, I shall make sure that we put all those links in the show notes so that we've got notes yeah, to much. show. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're, what, what we do, 
go to the internet web, search for We're Not Wizards, you'll find us in all the different worn out faces, worn out places, bright and early for the daily races on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And you can find us on all the podcast catchers where I've got the word pod and the word cast in them and ones like Spreaker that have neither in them. Mm. Um, if you like us very, very much, you can go to Apple Podcasts. You can drop us a subscription, a rating or a review. Um, we are still currently number two in the Apple Podcast charts for Chile. Um, which I'm very proud mm. of. Yes, yes. That's because almost. I think. Yeah. Well, there you go. You can't have much better. You, you know, you're living no, when well, you're I number mean, two. You can't Chile. have one better. No, you know, and number one isn't even critical role. So there you go. So I'm beating you. Oh yeah. So I'm quite. Yeah. I'm quite pleased with that. Take that, Matt Mercer. Uh, exactly. That's what I said. <laughs> no, so I'm going to say that until we're less not so than handsome two. now, are you? <laughs> not so handsome, successful, and just run a, a squillion <laughs> million dollar quick starter, are you now? Yeah. 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 Hmm? And as Matthew? we say, <laughs> if you are going to be giving us a rating or review, don't give us ten stars because it makes us big headed. But don't give us one star because it makes us cry. <laughs> give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average, <laughs> and we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, slightly mysterious, Mr. Grant Howitt. Thank you for coming on, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It was really nice. Um, there's only two more things to do. First thing is to remember we're many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Grant? No, we're not. Absolutely. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's goodbye from Grant. Say goodbye, Grant. Goodbye, Grant. And it's goodbye from me. Remember. Stay safe, roll sixes, make something awful. And uh, if you're in the market to try something you want to hark it that's got a little bit of heart in it and you want to be beneath the say and you like a bit of role play and then get yourself to the heart of the say beneath RPG because it's still got about 20 odd days to go. But until the next time, goodbye. is never Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.